chapter eighteen part one of paul clifford by edward bulwer lytton this librivox recording is in the public domain chapter eighteen part one why did she love him curious fool be still is human love the growth of human will to her he might be gentleness lord byron in three weeks from the time of his arrival captain clifford was the most admired man in bath it is true the gentlemen who have a quicker tact as to the respectability of their own sex than women might have looked a little shy upon him had he not himself especially shunned appearing intrusive and indeed rather avoided the society of men than courted it so that after he had fought a duel with a baronet the son of a shoemaker who called him one clifford and had exhibited a flea-bitten horse allowed to be the finest in bath he rose insensibly into a certain degree of respect with the one sex as well as popularity with the other but what always attracted and kept alive suspicion was his intimacy with so peculiar and dashing a gentleman as mr edward pepper people could get over a certain frankness in clifford's address but the most lenient were astounded by the swagger of long ned clifford however not insensible to the ridicule attached to his acquaintances soon managed to pursue his occupations alone nay he took a lodging to himself and left long ned and augustus tomlinson the latter to operate as a check on the former to the quiet enjoyment of the hairdresser's apartments he himself attended all public gaieties and his mien and the appearance of wealth which he maintained procured him access into several private circles which pretended to be exclusive as if people who had daughters ever could be exclusive many were the kind looks nor few the inviting letters which he received and if his sole object had been to marry an heiress he would have found no difficulty in attaining it but he devoted himself entirely to lucy brandon and to win one glance from her he would have renounced all the heiresses in the kingdom most fortunately for him a leverer whose health was easily deranged had fallen ill the very day william brandon left bath and his lordship was thus rendered unable to watch the movements of lucy and undermine or totally prevent the success of her lover miss brandon indeed had at first melted by the kindness of her uncle and struck with the sense of his admonition for she was no self-willed young lady who was determined to be in love received captain clifford's advances with a coldness which from her manner the first evening they had met at bath occasioned him no less surprise than mortification he retreated and recoiled on the squire who patient and bold as usual was sequestered in his favourite corner by accident clifford trod on the squire's gouty digital and in apologising for the offence was so struck by the old gentleman's good nature and peculiarity of expressing himself that without knowing who he was he entered into conversation with him there was an off-hand sort of liveliness and candour not to say wit about clifford which always had a charm for the elderly who generally like frankness above all the cardinal virtues 
the squire was exceedingly pleased with him the acquaintance once begun was naturally continued without difficulty when clifford ascertained who was his new friend and next morning meeting in the pump-room the squire asked clifford to dinner the entree to the house thus gained the rest was easy long before malevra recovered his health the mischief effected by his rival was almost beyond redress and the heart of the pure the simple the affectionate lucy brandon was more than half lost to the lawless and vagrant cavalier who officiates as the hero of this tale one morning clifford and augustus strolled out together let us said the latter who was in a melancholy mood leave the busy streets and indulge in a philosophical conversation on the nature of man while we are enjoying a little fresh air in the country clifford assented to the proposal and the pair slowly sauntered up one of the hills that surround the city of Bladud. there are certain moments said tomlinson looking pensively down at his kersey mere gaiters when we are like the fox in the nursery rhyme the fox had a wound he could not tell where we feel extremely unhappy and we cannot tell why a dark and sad melancholy grows over us we shun the face of man we wrap ourselves in our thoughts like silkworms we mutter fag ends of dismal songs tears come into our eyes we recall all the misfortunes that have ever happened to us we stoop in our gait and bury our hands in our breeches pockets we say what is life a stone to be shied into a horse-pond we pine for some congenial heart and have an itching desire to talk prodigiously about ourselves all other subjects seem weary stale and unprofitable we feel as if a fly could knock us down and are in a humour to fall in love and make a very sad piece of business of it yet with all this weakness we have at these moments a finer opinion of ourselves than we ever had before we call our megrims the melancholy of a sublime soul the yearnings of an indigestion we denominate yearnings after immortality nay sometimes a proof of the nature of the soul may i find some biographer who understands such sensations well and may he style those melting emotions the offspring of the poetical character which in reality are the offspring of a mutton-chop you jest pleasantly enough on your low spirits said clifford but i have a cause for mine what then cried tomlinson so much the easier is it to cure them the mind can cure the evils that spring from the mind it is only a fool and a quack and a driveller when it professes to heal the evils that spring from the body my blue devils spring from the body consequently my mind which as you know is a particularly wise mind wrestles not against them tell me frankly renewed augustus after a pause do you ever repent do you ever think if you had been a shop-boy with a white apron about your middle that you would have been a happier and a better member of society than you now are repent said clifford fiercely and his answer opened more of his secret heart its motives its reasonings and its peculiarities than were often discernible repent that is the idlest word in our language no the moment i repent that moment i reform never can it seem to me an atonement for crime merely to regret it my mind would lead me not to regret but to repair repent no not yet the older i grow the more i see of men and of the callings of social life the more i an open knave sicken at the glossed and covert dishonesties around i acknowledge no allegiance to society 
from my birth to this hour i have received no single favour from its customs or its laws openly i war against it and patiently will i meet its revenge this may be crime but it looks light in my eyes when i gaze around and survey on all sides the masked traders who acknowledge large debts to society who profess to obey its laws adore its institutions and above all oh how righteously attack all those who attack it and who yet lie and cheat and defraud and peculate publicly reaping all the comforts privately filching all the profits repent of what i come into the world friendless and poor i find a body of laws hostile to the friendless and the poor to those laws hostile to me then i acknowledge hostility in my turn between us are the conditions of war let them expose a weakness i insist on my right to seize the advantage let them defeat me and i allow their right to destroy the author need not he hopes observe that these sentiments are mr paul clifford's not his passion said augustus coolly is the usual enemy of reason in your case it is the friend the pair had now gained the summit of a hill which commanded a view of the city below here augustus who was a little short-winded paused to recover breath as soon as he had done so he pointed with his forefinger to the scene beneath and said enthusiastically what a subject for contemplation clifford was about to reply when suddenly the sound of laughter and voices was heard behind let us fly cried augustus on this day of spleen man delights me not or woman either stay said clifford in a trembling accent for among those voices he recognized one which had already acquired over him an irresistible and bewitching power augustus sighed and reluctantly remained motionless presently a winding in the road brought into view a party of pleasure some on foot some on horseback others in the little vehicles which even at that day haunted watering-places and called themselves flies or swallows but among the gay procession clifford had only eyes for one walking with that elastic step which so rarely survives the first epoch of youth by the side of the heavy chair in which her father was drawn the fair beauty of lucy brandon threw at least in the eyes of her lover a magic and a lustre over the whole group he stood for a moment stilling the heart that leaped at her bright looks and the gladness of her innocent laugh and then recovering himself he walked slowly and with a certain consciousness of the effect of his own singularly handsome person towards the party the good squire received him with his usual kindness and informed him according to that lucidus ordo which he so especially favoured of the whole particulars of their excursion there was something worthy of an artist's sketch in the scene at that moment the old squire in his chair with his benevolent face turned towards clifford and his hands resting on his cane clifford himself bowing down his stately head to hear the details of the father the beautiful daughter on the other side of the chair her laugh suddenly stilled her gait insensibly more composed and blush chasing blush over the smooth and peach-like loveliness of her cheek the party of all sizes ages and attire affording ample scope for the caricaturist 
and the pensive figure of augustus tomlinson who by the by was exceedingly like liston standing apart from the rest on the brow of the hill where clifford had left him and moralizing on the motley procession with one hand hid in his waistcoat and the other caressing his chin which slowly and pendulously with the rest of his head moved up and down as the party approached the brow of the hill the view of the city below was so striking that there was a general pause for the purpose of survey one young lady in particular drew forth her pencil and began sketching while her mamma looked complacently on and abstractedly devoured a sandwich it was at this time in the general pause that clifford and lucy found themselves heaven knows how next to each other and at a sufficient distance from the squire and the rest of the party to feel in some measure alone there was a silence in both which neither dared to break when lucy after looking at and toying with a flower that she had brought from the place which the party had been to see accidentally dropped it and clifford and herself stooping at the same moment to recover it their hands met involuntarily clifford detained the soft fingers in his own his eyes that encountered hers so spellbound and arrested them that for once they did not sink beneath his gaze his lips moved but many and vehement emotions so suffocated his voice that no sound escaped them but all the heart was in the eyes of each that moment fixed their destinies henceforth there was an era from which they dated a new existence a nucleus around which their thoughts their remembrances and their passions clung the great gulf was passed they stood on the same shore and felt that though still apart and disunited on that shore was no living creature but themselves meanwhile augustus tomlinson on finding himself surrounded by persons eager to gaze and to listen broke from his moodiness and reserve looking full at his next neighbour and flourishing his right hand in the air till he suffered it to rest in the direction of the houses and chimneys below he repeated that moral exclamation which had been wasted on clifford with a more solemn and a less passionate gravity than before what a subject ma'am for contemplation very sensibly said indeed sir said the lady addressed who was rather of a serious turn i never resumed augustus in a louder key and looking round for auditors i never see a great town from the top of a hill without thinking of an apothecary's shop lord sir said the lady tomlinson's end was gained struck with the quaintness of the notion a little crowd gathered instantly around him to hear it further developed of an apothecary's shop ma'am repeated tomlinson there lie your simples and your purges and your cordials and your poisons all things to heal and to strengthen and to destroy there are drugs enough in that collection to save you to cure you all but none of you know how to use them nor what medicines to ask for nor what portions to take so that the greater part of you swallow a wrong dose and die of the remedy but if the town be the apothecary shop what in the plan of your idea stands for the apothecary 
asked an old gentleman who perceived at what tomlinson was driving the apothecary sir answered augustus stealing his notion from clifford and sinking his voice lest the true proprietor should overhear him clifford was otherwise employed the apothecary sir is the law it is the law that stands behind the counter and dispenses to each man the dose he should take to the poor it gives bad drugs gratuitously to the rich pills to stimulate the appetite to the latter premiums for luxury to the former only speedy refuges from life alas either your apothecary is but an ignorant quack or his science itself is but in its cradle he blunders as much as you would do if left to your own selection those who have recourse to him seldom speak gratefully of his skill he relieves you it is true but of your money not your malady and the only branch of his profession in which he is an adept is that which enables him to bleed you o oh, mankind continued augustus what noble creatures you ought to be you have keys to all sciences all arts all mysteries but one you have not a notion how you ought to be governed you cannot frame a tolerable law for the life and soul of you you make yourselves as uncomfortable as you can by all sorts of galling and vexatious institutions and you throw the blame upon fate you lay down rules it is impossible to comprehend much less to obey and you call each other monsters because you cannot conquer the impossibility you invent all sorts of vices under pretence of making laws for preserving virtue and the anomalous artificialities of conduct yourselves produce you say you are born with you make a machine by the perversest art you can think of and you call it with a sigh human nature with a host of good dispositions struggling at your breasts you insist upon libeling the almighty and declaring that he meant you to be wicked nay you even call the man mischievous and seditious who begs and implores you to be one jot better than you are o oh, mankind you are like a nosegay bought at covent garden the flowers are lovely the scent delicious mark that glorious hue contemplate that bursting petal how beautiful how redolent of health of nature of the dew and breath and blessing of heaven are you all but as for the dirty piece of string that ties you together one would think you had picked it out of the kennel so saying tomlinson turned on his heel broke away from the crowd and solemnly descended the hill the party of pleasure slowly followed and clifford receiving an invitation from the squire to partake of his family dinner walked by the side of lucy and felt as if his spirit were drunk with the airs of eden a brother squire who among the gaieties of bath was almost as forlorn as joseph brandon himself partook of the lord of warlock's hospitality when the three gentlemen adjourned to the drawing-room the two elder sat down to a game at backgammon and clifford was left to the undisturbed enjoyment of lucy's conversation she was sitting by the window when clifford joined her on the table by her side were scattered books the charm of which they were chiefly poetry she had only of late learned to discover 
there also were strewn various little masterpieces of female ingenuity in which the fairy fingers of lucy brandon were especially formed to excel the shades of evening were rapidly darkening over the empty streets and in the sky which was cloudless and transparently clear the stars came gradually out one by one until as water does a sponge so their soft light filled the void hollow universal air beautiful evening if we as well as augustus tomlinson may indulge in an apostrophe beautiful evening for thee all poets have had a song and surrounded thee with rills and waterfalls and dews and flowers and sheep and bats and melancholy and owls yet we must confess that to us who in this very sentimental age are a bustling worldly hard-minded person jostling our neighbours and thinking of the main chance to us thou art never so charming as when we meet thee walking in thy grey hood through the emptying streets and among the dying sounds of a city we love to feel the stillness where all two hours back was clamour we love to see the dingy abodes of trade and luxury those restless patients of earth's constant fever contrasted and canopied by a heaven full of purity and quietness and peace we love to fill our thought with speculations on man even though the man be the muffin man rather than with inanimate objects hills and streams things to dream about not to meditate on man is the subject of far nobler contemplation a far more glowing hope of a far purer and loftier vein of sentiment than all the floods and fells in the universe and that sweet evening is one reason why we like that the earnest and tender thoughts thou excitest within us should be rather surrounded by the labours and tokens of our species than by sheep and bats and melancholy and owls but whether most blessed evening thou delightest us in the country or in the town thou equally disposest us to make and to feel love thou art the cause of more marriages and more divorces than any other time in the twenty-four hours eyes that were common eyes to us before touched by thy enchanting and magic shadows become inspired and preach to us of heaven a softness settles on features that were harsh to us while the sun shone a mellow light of love reposes on the complexion which by day we would have steeped full fathom five in a sea of mrs gowland's lotion what then thou modest hypocrite to those who already and deeply love what then of danger and of paradise dost thou bring silent and stilling the breath which heaved in both quick and fitfully lucy and clifford sat together the streets were utterly deserted and the loneliness as they looked below made them feel the more intensely not only the emotions which swelled within them but the undefined and electric sympathy which in uniting them divided them from the world the quiet around was broken by a distant strain of rude music and as it came nearer two forms of no poetical order grew visible the one was a poor blind man who was drawing from his flute tones in which the melancholy beauty of the air compensated for any deficiency the deficiency was but slight in the execution a woman much younger than the musician 
and with something of beauty in her countenance accompanied him holding a tattered hat and looking wistfully up at the windows of the silent street we said two forms we did the injustice of forgetfulness to another a rugged and simple friend it is true but one that both minstrel and wife had many and moving reasons to love this was a little wiry terrier with dark piercing eyes that glanced quickly and sagaciously in all quarters from beneath the shaggy covert that surrounded them slowly the animal moved onward pulling gently against the string by which he was held and by which he guided his master once his fidelity was tempted another dog invited him to play the poor terrier looked anxiously and doubtingly round and then uttering a low growl of denial pursued the noiseless tenor of his way the little procession stopped beneath the window where lucy and clifford sat for the quick eye of the woman had perceived them and she laid her hand on the blind man's arm and whispered him he took the hint and changed his air into one of love clifford glanced at lucy her cheek was dyed in blushes the air was over another succeeded it was of the same kind a third the burden was still unaltered and then clifford threw into the street a piece of money and the dog wagged his abridged and dwarfed tail and darting forward picked it up in his mouth and the woman she had a kind face patted the officious friend even before she thanked the donor and then she dropped the money with a cheering word or two into the blind man's pocket and the three wanderers moved slowly on presently they came to a place where the street had been mended and the stones lay scattered about here the woman no longer trusted to the dog's guidance but anxiously hastened to the musician and led him with evident tenderness and minute watchfulness over the rugged way when they had passed the danger the man stopped and before he released the hand which had guided him he pressed it gratefully and then both the husband and the wife stooped down and caressed the dog this little scene one of those rough copies of the loveliness of human affections of which so many are scattered about the highways of the world both the lovers had involuntarily watched and now as they withdrew their eyes those eyes settled on each other lucy's swam in tears to be loved and tended by the one i love said clifford in a low voice i would walk blind and barefoot over the whole earth lucy sighed very gently and placing her pretty hands the one clasped over the other upon her knee looked down wistfully on them but made no answer clifford drew his chair nearer and gazed on her as she sat the long dark eyelashes drooping over her eyes and contrasting the ivory lids her delicate profile half turned from him and borrowing a more touching beauty from the soft light that dwelt upon it and her full yet still scarcely developed bosom heaving at thoughts which he did not analyze but was content to feel at once vague and delicious he gazed and his lips trembled he longed to speak he longed to say but those words which convey what volumes have endeavoured to express and have only weakened by detail i love how he resisted the yearnings of his heart we know not but he did resist and lucy after a confused and embarrassed pause took up one of the poems on the table and asked him some questions about a particular passage in an old ballad which he had once pointed to her notice the passage related to a border chief one of the armstrongs of old who having been seized by the english and condemned to death vented his last feelings in a passionate address to his own home his rude tower and his newly wedded bride 
do you believe said lucy as their conversation began to flow that one so lawless and eager for bloodshed and strife as this robber is described to be could be so capable of soft affection i do said clifford because he was not sensible that he was as criminal as you esteem him if a man cherish the idea that his actions are not evil he will retain at his heart all its better and gentler sensations as much as if he had never sinned the savage murders his enemy and when he returns home is not the less devoted to his friend or the less anxious for his children to harden and embrute the kindly dispositions we must not only indulge in guilt but feel that we are guilty oh many that the world load with their opprobrium are capable of acts nay have committed acts which in others the world would reverence and adore would you know whether a man's heart be shut to the power of love ask what he is not to his foes but to his friends crime too continued clifford speaking fast and vehemently while his eyes flashed and the dark blood rushed to his cheek crime what is crime men embody their worst prejudices their most evil passions in a heterogeneous and contradictory code and whatever breaks this code they term a crime when they make no distinction in the penalty that is to say in the estimation awarded both to murder and to a petty theft imposed on the weak will by famine we ask nothing else to convince us that they are ignorant of the very nature of guilt and that they make up in ferocity for the want of wisdom lucy looked in alarm at the animated and fiery countenance of the speaker clifford recovered himself after a moment's pause and rose from his seat with the gay and frank laugh which made one of his peculiar characteristics there is a singularity in politics miss brandon said he which i dare say you have often observed namely that those who are least important are always most noisy and that the chief people who lose their temper are those who have nothing to gain in return End of chapter eighteen part one